Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Going Underground, Radio Havana, Cuba, and France 24. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. North Korea test-fired more ballistic missiles as a second U.S. nuclear-powered submarine docked in South Korea. Chinese and Russian dignitaries are in North Korea attending the 70th anniversary of the Korean War Armistice. China and Russia met at a BRICS meeting in South Africa. The Russia-Africa Forum was held in St. Petersburg and attended by 49 of the 54 African countries. Turkish President Erdogan does not support the increase of NATO activities in the Asia-Pacific region. NHK World Radio Japan North Korea said it test-fired a newly developed solid-fuel intercontinental ballistic missile on July, 20, July 12th. This was followed a week later by the launches of two ballistic missiles. The latest launches marked the 14th time this year that North Korea has fired ballistic missiles or projectiles that use ballistic missile technology. South Korea's Yonhap News Agency says Monday's move may have been in response to visits to the South by U.S. submarines. A U.S. nuclear-powered submarine capable of carrying nuclear weapons made a port call in Pusan for four days through July 21st. Another U.S. nuclear-powered submarine arrived at Jeju Island on Monday. Dignitaries from China and Russia are in North Korea to mark 70 years since the Korean War armistice. The visit is apparently a show of unity between the three sides. The state-run broadcaster showed North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu visiting an arms exhibition Wednesday. What appears to be a newly developed drone had the words Korean People's Army Air Force written on its side. South Korean media say it looks a lot like a U.S. surveillance aircraft known as a Global Hawk. Kim reportedly told Shoigu Russia will achieve great things in its battle to create a powerful nation. Both the Russian and Chinese delegates also brought letters from their leaders. They're North Korea's first foreign dignitaries since it tightened its borders due to the pandemic. One expert says their visits are a show of solidarity against the United States. North Korea claims the U.S. and its allies are drawing lines in a new Cold War to challenge Pyongyang. North Korea is using this occasion to show that Russia and China are on its side. 
Hiraiwa says the visit is also significant for Russia. The country has faced widespread condemnation from the U.S. and NATO over its invasion of Ukraine. But the same can't necessarily be said of China. Hiraiwa says Beijing believes it can cooperate with the U.S. when it comes to North Korea. He says China may not want to be involved in a new Cold War. Meanwhile, South Korean President Yoon Son-yeol also marked the anniversary with a ceremony in Busan. He said South Korea will work for freedom, peace and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific and the world. China's top diplomat and one of Russian President Vladimir Putin's top aides have met in South Africa. They spoke on the sidelines of a BRICS conference and say their countries are committed to strategic cooperation. Wang Yi and Nikolai Patrushev were in Johannesburg on Monday. They say they want to strengthen communication between Beijing and Moscow. Wang also hinted at efforts to establish a multipolar world moving away from Western dominance. He says China is willing to work closely with Russia and other BRICS members to safeguard the common interests of developing countries. Patrushev also says they are opposed to a Cold War mentality amid the war in Ukraine and tensions in the Taiwan Strait. The talks come ahead of next month's BRICS summit. The Kremlin says Putin won't travel to South Africa amid concerns he could be arrested for alleged war crimes at the request of the International Criminal Court. Now, Russia is cozying up to African nations as it finds itself increasingly isolated on the international stage in the wake of its invasion of Ukraine. Government and business officials from 49 of Africa's 54 countries have turned up in St. Petersburg for the Russia-Africa Forum, which kicked off Thursday. Russia can supply grain to Africa, both commercially and for free, to replace Ukrainian grain exports. Russia announced earlier this month it was pulling out of a deal that allowed Ukraine to ship grain. The move has heightened concerns of a possible food crisis in Africa. Russia argues Ukraine has exported most of its farm products to Europe. It says less than 3% of its shipments reach the poorest parts of Africa. Now, Ukraine isn't standing idly by. Its foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, visited Equatorial Guinea and Liberia earlier this week for talks with their presidents. The trip was apparently aimed at highlighting Ukraine's willingness to cooperate with African nations ahead of the meeting in Russia. So far, many African nations have stood on the sidelines amid the war in Ukraine. The summit in Russia wraps up on Friday. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has reportedly said his country does not support the increase of NATO activities in the Asia-Pacific region. He made the remarks when he met China's visiting foreign minister, Wang Yi. The Chinese foreign ministry quoted Erdogan as saying Turkey and China are both countries with global influence. It said Erdogan expressed Turkey's willingness to deepen cooperation with China in various fields, including trade and energy, and uplift bilateral relations to a new level. Turkey has been boosting its global presence by trying to mediate between Russia and Ukraine. China apparently wants to stress Erdogan's implication he would side with Beijing, which is wary of NATO's growing influence in Asia. 
Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Going Underground with Afshin Ratansi. Excerpts of an interview with retired Colonel Larry Wilkerson on a letter he signed in the New York Times calling on people to see the war in Ukraine from a Russian perspective. They also discussed the possibility of nuclear weapons in the war, how NATO will begin to dismember in the near future, and that the U.S. will soon see European countries pull back their support for U.S. endeavors. Going Underground a U.S. soldier who says the war in Ukraine needs to end now with a diplomatic solution is former U.S. Army officer of 30 years and former chief of staff to President George W. Bush's U.S. Secretary of State, Colin Powell, the man whose 2003 U.N. speech helped catalyze the U.S. invasion of Iraq. That soldier is retired Colonel Larry Wilkerson, who joins me now from Falls Church in Virginia. Why have you and 14 others signed a letter in The New York Times calling on uh, people to understand the war through Russia's eyes? All of us who signed the letter and many more who, for some reason or other, didn't want to actually be so public, agreed that this is probably as dangerous a situation as we've been confronted in a long time with regard to nuclear weapons, probably as dangerous as 1962 in Cuba or 1961 in Berlin. So it was time for a statement to be made, and we found a gentleman to back us. It's very expensive to do that in the New York Times. And uh, we put it in there. Why the New York Times, actually? I mean, it's uh, arguably changed its policy editorially since your letter, because it suddenly started to, at least there was one op-ed that seemed to uh, show some dissent from the uh, ruling uh, class line. Why did you choose the New York Times? Well, one reason I chose it, uh, I recommended it, uh, not that my view was paramount, but is because it was the warmonger with regard to the Iraq war, which was a disaster, is still a disaster. And we saw the New York Times again being a warmonger, uh, advocating all manner of uh, what you might call American warmongering period, London, Berlin, everyone's warmongering all the time. And so that's the best place to put it, put it in the mouthpiece of the war. And so that's why we put it there. At least that's why I wanted it there. One key feature of the letter being the threat of uh, nuclear strikes. I mean, I'm not going to accuse you here, but you know the kind of, um, some might say, fake journalists at BBC, CNN, the usual suspects that uh, cheerled that war in Iraq, let alone Afghanistan, Syria, Libya. Uh, They'd probably say, you know what you're doing in that letter? It's uh, caving in to Putin nuclear blackmail. Not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I have been assured in the last month by some of the highest authorities from Moscow that Putin would not use a nuclear weapon. Strangely enough, I happen to believe them. Um, they're reputable people. They're people that Colin Powell trusted when he was Secretary of State. Um, and I happen to believe... Arguably, he trusted too many people, Colin Powell. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh in this regard, though, I think the 
statement is a valid statement. And my fear is not that Russia will use a nuclear weapon. It's that some other party, and I include Washington in that, will use a nuclear weapon. Um, that's my fear, not Russia. I don't think Russia is at a point or will be at a point. I did immediately after the 24 February invasion, I thought the prospects were pretty pretty uh, good because I watched the Russians bog down so badly that I thought we were making it existential for them. I no longer think that. Uh, I think the situation now made so by us and by Ukraine is clearly on Russia's side. I think all she has to do is hold out in the defensive posture she's presently in, and Ukraine will bleed itself to death on that defensive posture. So I don't think there's a reason for Putin to use nuclear weapons now. While you've been critical of uh, Antony Blinken, the former um, uh, West exec uh, military contractor, consultant, secretary of state, he has achieved one war aim for Washington, hasn't he, in that Western Europe has become much more uh, than ever, like just another state of the USA and is firmly in the grip of Washington power. You just stated the reason why this cannot persist. Uh, in 1989, when I first joined Colin Powell, he mused in his office one day to me, a freshly captured lieutenant colonel, so I was about to uh, challenge him. He said, you know, Larry, the leaders are all going. Mitterrand, Cole, Thatcher, Major, they're all going. The people with the feet, their feet in World War II are going. Soon there will be leaders in Europe who don't remember the war, as it were. Soon there will be leaders in Europe who will want to act on their own. That is going to happen. And it's going to happen speedily and forthwith with this war going on much longer. I think we're going to see NATO falling apart rather than becoming even more and more unified, as President Biden insinuated. Insinuated hell. He stated it multiple times in Vilnius. I think we're looking at the dissolution of NATO over time because these leaders are going to go. These leaders are American chosen leaders in many respects, particularly the Secretary General of NATO. When these people go, there are going to be a new crop of leaders. You're seeing polls right now, even in Germany, that show 55, 60 percent of the people are not happy with their present politicians' policies, and that includes Ukraine. So as time goes by, and I don't think it's going to be much time, maybe 12 to 15 months, we're going to see NATO begin to fall apart, not be more and more unified, particularly if we don't step in and stop this conflict. Arguably don't care about the environment if uh, they destroyed the Nord Stream. I understand that you agree with uh, Cy Hirsch uh, that uh, it was the Biden administration that destroyed it. Why do you think uh, the Biden administration was so confident there'd be no retaliation? Russia said, oh, there'll be consequences for that destruction of the pipeline that was spent uh, billions of dollars of German and, and Russian money. But there hasn't really been a reaction to it. I think there'll be a long-term consequence. And I think people who think strategically, and I'm not quite sure that Vladimir does, but I think he does, or at least he has some people around him who do, if you think strategically, the Germans aren't going to tolerate this much longer. And if you're talking about the heart of NATO in Europe, you're talking about Germany, 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 Germany. Um, and if you eliminate Germany, if, if Germany suddenly decides they are not best served by 
fuel that comes in that is far more contaminative than the fuel they were getting from Russia, far more expensive, that this is not really what they want for a future. And we're also bending their both arms behind their back, trying to break them away from China, which is nonsense. I mean, break Germany away from China, the engine of the European economy, away from the engine of the world economy? You got to be kidding me. And yet that's what we're trying to do. This whole business of Ukraine, if you find the root cause of the belief of the Biden crew, is to reestablish U.S. hegemony, which was slipping over Europe. They'll figure that out sooner or later, especially the Germans. And then it's Katie bar the door. We're going to be in trouble because the alliance is going to shatter and the transatlantic relationship with it. Stopping this war would be really simple if you just sat down and thought about it and you didn't let the oligarchs of the war industry rule your day, all you have to do is start talking. Colonel Larry Wilkinson, thank you. That excerpted interview with retired Colonel Larry Wilkerson was by Afshin Ratansi from his twice-weekly program called Going Underground TV. You can find the complete interview at the Canadian-based streaming service called Rumble.com. Search for Going Underground TV on Rumble.com. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. The British government just passed an anti-immigration bill that is widely denounced by human rights groups and parts of the United Nations. The Portuguese parliament voted in favor of a resolution recognizing Nakba Day and condemning Israeli annexation policies. Radio Havana, Cuba. The passage of the British government's anti-immigration bill shows that the authorities are desperate to show they have a strategy for limiting illegal migration, but it's known to everyone that this strategy won't work, says a former British diplomat. In an interview with the Press TV website, Peter Ford, a former UK diplomat who served as ambassador in Syria between 2003 and 6, and before that in Bahrain from 1999 to 2003, said the pro problem of illegal migration is making of the UK and its Western allies. Quote, Everybody knows the strategy won't work, but the British government has to pretend to believe it because they're unwilling to face up to the causes of illegal migration. Dubbed the Illegal Immigration Bill, it was passed by the British Parliament last week and now awaits the formality of royal assent from King Charles III to become law. The bill has been widely denounced by human rights groups and international organizations, including the United Nations Refugee and Human Rights Chief, who said, quote, It is at variance with the country's obligations under international human rights and refugee law and will have profound consequences for people in need of international protection. Ford told the Press TV website, What is inhumane is Britain's military and economic interventions in the countries from which most illegal migrants originate, Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan. Britain caused these countries to become failed states with direct invasion, proxy war and sanctions. The former British diplomat hastened to add that Britain also destabilized Libya and, quote, made it a jumping-off point for African migrants. We have only ourselves to blame if young men from these countries try to reach Britain. Even now we are turning the screw on Syria, ramping up sanctions and preventing reconstruction. The flagship bill, pushed by conservative Rishi Sunak government, will bar people from claiming asylum in the UK and deport them either to their country of origin or Rwanda. Human rights chief... 
Talcott Turk said on Tuesday, quote, the bill raises very serious legal concerns and sets a worrying precedent for dismantling asylum-related obligations that other countries may follow. Foretold Press TV website, quote, the stricter rules are a consequence of the European failure to deal with the problem at the source, Europe's interference in countries of the global south. It is a taboo even to consider this aspect of the matter. The main problem is that the numbers seem completely uncontrollable. This is causing deep concern and resentment amongst populations already suffering from the severe economic crisis. The Portuguese parliament has overwhelmingly voted in favour of a resolution recognising Nakba Day or Day of Catastrophe when Israel was created at the expense of the forced expulsion of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their homeland in 1947-48. Parliament also prayed the Palestinian struggle obtained the rights to self-determination. At the same time, the Portuguese resolution condemned the Israeli regime's expressionist and annexationist policies, emphasizing that the practices are in blatant violation of international laws. It also called on the Portuguese government to take a clear position in defending the right of the Palestinian people, as guaranteed by international conventions. The Palestinian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and expatriates welcomed the decision of the Portuguese parliament. The statement described it as a true expression of the southern European country's solidarity with the plight of Palestinians, which has been going on for 75 years. It praised the decision as a first step towards the Portuguese government's recognition of the state of Palestine, a move on the past towards adopting resolutions that consider Nakba a human tragedy. Israel proclaimed its illegal existence on May 15, 1948, when about 750,000 Palestinians were forcibly expelled from their homeland. For the first time in history, the United Nations commemorated the 75th anniversary of Nakba Day on May 15, 2023. According to the official Palestinian news agency Wafa, the UN Committee on the Exercise of the Inalienable Rights of the Palestinian People, the CEIRPP, organized the high-level special meeting at the United Nations New York headquarters. The event was the first of its kind in the world today in the history pursuant to the General Assembly mandate of November 30, 2022. It was provided over by Ambassador Sheikh Niang of Senegal, chairman of the committee, and included a keynote address by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. According to former British Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn, the Nakba has been maintained by Israel and successive Israeli administrations have expropriated Palestinian-owned lands, expanded illegal settlements and severely restricted Palestinians' freedom of movement. He went on to voice his support for the establishment of a sovereign and dependent Palestinian state. Quote, the Nakba did not end in 1948. Palestinians continue to resist a system of colonial dispossession and apartheid. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, but there's no podcast. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please, Help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet like a listener in Putney, Vermont did this week.
Many, many thanks. We will conclude with France 24. Spain held a national election which many feared would show a growing shift of far-right parties. There were no clear winners. Then a press review on the record-breaking ocean temperature off the coast of Florida and the complex changes scientists expect this will cause. France 24. An election with no real winner. After a tense election night and hours of vote counting, no clear majority has emerged in Spain. The conservative popular party won the elections, scoring more than 130 seats in the 350-seat parliament. Next up, the Socialist Party. It garnered more than 120 seats. In third place, the far-right Vox Party with 30-plus seats. It could join a right-wing coalition led by the PP. Despite coming in second, the Socialists, led by Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, performed better than expected. Speaking on Sunday night, Pedro Sanchez went so far as to say that his conservative adversaries had been defeated. Spain and all its citizens who have voted have been crystal clear. The backwards bloc that wanted to roll back all the progress we have made over the past four years has failed. Right-wing leader Alberto Núñez Fejo made it clear that he thinks this is wishful thinking. No head of the Spanish government has continued to govern after losing the elections. So, my dear friends, it falls on me to try. We are the alternative option, and that's what I will do. The new parliament won't meet for another month, meaning the picture will remain murky for several more weeks. Current predictions suggest that Sanchez has more wiggle room to build a coalition, but he could still struggle to cobble together a majority. If efforts to build a majority fail, Spain could find itself with no other option than to head to the polls once again. A new study is warning that the collapse of vital ocean currents due to higher temperatures could be catastrophic and imminent as well. Yeah, and that system is in uh, the Atlantic Ocean. It's called the Atlantic Meridional uh, Overturning Condition, or uh, circulation rather, or AMOC. It essentially carries warm water to the North Pole, which then, uh, which is then uh, cooled and and it sinks uh, down to the surface, and it then it drives uh, the Atlantic currents that affect uh, several continents. The melting of Greenland's ice cap due to warmer temperatures is essentially smothering uh, these currents, according to the study that was conducted by the University of Copenhagen. If AMOC collapses, according to some estimates, that could be between uh, as early as 2025 or as late as 2090. It would freeze Europe, it would increase storms, it would lead to rising sea levels on the U.S. East Coast, it would disrupt rains across South America, uh, West Africa and India. Uh, so in other words, it would uh, be absolutely catastrophic. Researchers warn that the AMOC has not been shut off uh, in uh, for 12,000 years. There is some um, disagreement about when this will happen and how serious it will be. Uh, but in any case, it is one of the most concerning climate tipping points right now. That report and press review were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English and most major podcast sites.
One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link. And get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.